welcome to the Naffy Break podcast. I'm Dominic O'Sullivan and I served for 15 years in the Royal Air Force as a physical training instructor. I've decided to start this podcast for a number of reasons. First and foremost was to shine a light on what I call some above average Joes, people that I know who've left the service and set up a second successful career. They've done some pretty amazing things. And in talking to these people, what what strikes me more than anything is that while they've come from a very organized and structured environment where they can see a very clear career path and development, they then had to transition into a, a new environment, somewhere they've got to prove themselves all over again. And they've got to try and find something which is both satisfying, rewarding, and ultimately, in a lot of cases, pays the bills. I actually think that employers don't realise just what skills, adaptability, resilience some military people have to offer. More importantly, I sometimes question whether the people leaving the military truly appreciate what they've learned, what they've gained in experience during their time in. Every day is a school day, as they say, and none more so than when you're in the military. So in this first series of the podcast, I focus very much on the personal journey of those that I've spoken to. And what's really clear is there is no one way to transition from the military. And I've tried to capture that with the variety of guests that we've spoken to. I hope you enjoy the podcasts. I hope you can glean some insights, possibly some inspiration, and also notice a little bit of that dark forces humour from time to time. I hope you enjoy. You can find the podcast on all the usual locations. Please share to friends, anybody that has a service connection or is interested in understanding a little bit more about our service personnel. I'd like to say hello uh, onto the pod today for Peter McCrory. Hi, Dom. Uh, great. And, and lovely to see you. And thanks ever so much for the opportunity to contribute to Naffy Break. Yeah, it's great. Well, actually, you're our first overseas contributor. As obviously, I let the podcast guests know you're joining us from uh, from Calgary uh, over in Canada. And I'm sure we'll get on to, to how we ended up uh, you being in in Canada later on. But uh, first of all, Peter, if I just kind of kick us off on the pod, um, you you joined the services. Just tell us a little bit about uh, what you joined and, and actually what was the motivation behind choosing that path and that particular role within the services? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I joined uh, the, the Air Force in 1993, having had a few failed attempts at trying to get in. Um, I was sort of briefed that having, after failing pilot aptitude tests, uh, I always wanted to fly, but um, I failed the pilot aptitude test twice and it was a two strikes and you're out rule. I'm not sure if it still is, maybe it is. Um, But uh, so they offered me the opportunity to be a navigator and I said, yep, absolutely, let's let's do it. I guess if, you know, as I said, the motivation was really to, to want to fly and to, to just be in a cockpit. So, um, yeah, I just followed my dreams and signed up. And uh, I, I was fortunate enough to get a bursary through university. So I came through the university system 
Um, and then after university, I was committed to a 12-year commission. So I uh, did six months of officer training and then into the flying training system, which lasted about three years. Uh, came out the other end of that. There was a big emphasis at the time for on demand for fast jet air crew. Um, having grown up in Northern Ireland, you know, we were constantly surrounded by helicopters. And I think that was my motivation to go into the helicopter world. Now, now that's an interesting one for me, because when people say, you know, air crew, the, most people think, fast jet as you say or or easy jet whichever way you kind of look at that but you know flying airplanes i suppose is the, is the thing but but obviously there is the aspect with the with the helicopters and i was in cyprus for a number of years and we had the the sea king and the the, the rescue helicopters and so forth so so that was obviously something that was on your kind of radar so to speak from from, from your upbringing and i did have a guest on here um a, right at the very beginning actually and we we did uh, discuss people's aspirations and views of joining the services and they always say there's two 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 jobs that people want to do if they join the air force pilot and pti <laughs> and uh, and he did actually correct me said i think you'll find it's pti and pilot so you, you'll appreciate the, <laughs> you'll appreciate the fact that i was having gone for the pilot still the desire to sit in the cockpit was uh, was a strong one for you so and as we know being in the service isn't always about the primary role what other things were you able to kind of get into and, and kind of indulge your, your, your passions and your, your, um, your, your other interests in while you were in the service? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, aside from the primary role, most of us take on a, some sort of a secondary duty. Uh, I started uh, going down the survival route and became a survival instructor, combat survival and rescue officer, they called it. Um, went on and did some jungle, no, I didn't do the jungle course. I did the Arctic course, I did the desert course. Um, then in my second flying tour, I had an opportunity to go and become a, an Arctic warfare instructor, which was um, effectively spending two winters with the Marines, just getting completely beasted on skis and <laughs> learning to be a warfighter. Um, so um, so that wasn't particularly, it was very memorable. Um, but uh, it was a it was a really hard hard slog and a hard course. But nevertheless, you know, I came out the other end. Um, you know, you know, I, I guess a more informed and, and, and rounded individual. And, and aside from that, I was always in, into sport, Dom. So um, you know, I wasn't necessarily an, an aspiring sportsman like many of your yourself and your colleagues in, in the PTI world. But you know, I always had you know. A, a passion for multi-sport, for triathlon, for endurance. Um, so I, I got into um, swimming, sw swam representatively for the Air Force. Um, I played water polo badly. Um, and a few of our mutual contacts would probably attest to that. Um, I, did, I did triathlon. I rode for the Air Force. Um, so I, I, I guess I just had a, there was a snapshot of off, off, off the Air Force for me, which was all about sort of, you know, you know traveling, seeing the world, doing fun things and, and I guess that, that was the the outlet for doing that so you know I, and I'd imagine those you know there's two things in parallel there's obviously the the gains from a, a development and a you know a, a knowledge base on the, the the primary role but I suppose there's an argument to say that the experiences and the challenges and training and all those things in a sporting context kind of develop personality and develop resilience and so forth as well so when you put those two things together in, in that kind of military environment, for, for me, it's it's a kind of almost a 24-7 development. feel that there's as much gained from the sporting kind of experiences as as some of, you know, your military experience. Yeah, I think so. That's a really good question. You know, and, um, you know, I, I guess, I, 
you know, I guess to add on to that, you know, after I'd finished my flying career, um, but I was still in the Air Force, I had an opportunity to to spend seven years as a what they call a general service training officer. Um, and quite frankly, that was probably the best thing that I that ever did, for, you know, for, for myself and for others, you know, in that we were doing experiential leadership training, uh, using the, you know, adventurous training as the mechanism to, you know, solicit outcomes um, around leadership and team development and communication. So, so I think it can, it can be understated the value of sport, recreation, physical activity for developing you know, people and, you know, the, I think the Air Force did a really good job and probably still does at, at, um, at, at providing the opportunities for, for people to engage in those sorts of activities and, 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 and become better all-round individuals. Because one of the things we're talking about is employability after service and, you know, the, the, the things that people bring out of the service. And I'm curious as to know that if you were an employer and obviously in the role that you have now, if you were looking at someone's CV and while you'd look at their technical skills and the jobs that they've had if alongside that you saw kind of sporting achievements or you know they've been channeled into representative sport or whatever that expedition type stuff as whether how much much weighting you would put into the assessment of that person as suitable for the you know a potential role within an organization so whether that's something you would look at personally if you were picking up someone's cv yeah, I would do, and, and I actually just finished a round of recruiting um, in my current role for one for one position. Um, you know, and I guess as you know, as as the um, recruiting person, um, I, you know, I look at I look at, I look for fits. You know, and for and that for for me as as an employer is is I guess there's that all roundedness which I think you're alluding to Dom and 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 also technical technical fit so you know you know and the other the other aspects around sort of personality and and fit for the team I think they would sort of be teased out in an interview or some sort of other process um but yeah I mean I, I look for, I look for a lot of things when it comes to um you know, employability, not just not just the technical expertise, because you could get somebody who's very, very technically minded and very, very astute in what they do, but they may not necessarily fit into the team and the culture. So, so I think that's a it's a really good, you know, it's a really good thing for you know, if, and, and if you flip that around, and if an individual looking for fits, I mean, that these are the sorts of questions that I would encourage people leaving the service to ask themselves: is what what's the culture that I'm looking for and, you know, what organizations, you know, can provide me with that particular culture. And, and I think, cause that's a, you know, that's a really good test whether or not you're going to be a good fit ultimately. Yeah. Cause I mean, also, ultimately then what we're talking about, it's, it's a two way interview process. I'm actually interviewing the employer to see whether they fit me as much as I'm trying to get through the door of their organization from the other way. But one of, one of the points I'm always trying to make to other veterans and people that I know is you don't always appreciate some of the skills and some of the things that you've done and you take for granted, like, you know, going on expeditions, trekking across the ice and going through arduous and challenging situations. And sometimes I think we really underestimate themselves in, in that respect. So I, I think it's great to hear that actually the, the fit is not just about the technical aspect it's about you know it's about the, the the person as well and stuff they've done you've obviously gone through you started that that career you've had some great experiences and whatever but how how far in advance of 
the, the point when you did actually leave, were you starting to think about the what next? The, is there another avenue for, for Peter outside of the service? How did that kind of process come about? I think it started sort of fairly informally whenever I was likely on my first, first flying tour. I, I spent three years in Northern Ireland and, you know, we'd often spend a lot of times in forward operating bases, often just sitting around and, and, and chatting and, and maybe watching a bit of TV. You know, in those conversations, you know, the people were maybe much more senior than I, and they were saying, well, when I get out, I'm going to do this. So, so I guess, you know, informally, there was always that, you know, there was always that, you know, need to sort of start or at least have some sort of a plan or an exit strategy. I don't necessarily know that I formulated one at that early stage, but I was certainly thinking of like, what what's next? There's no role as a navigator outside of the Air Force. And, you know, there used to be, you know, 50 years ago, but so there was, you know, a, a, you know, a need for, for me to think like, what the heck am I going to do here? You know, and it's, and it was quite a daunting, you know, because you, all of a sudden your, your world is your oyster. Where am I going to be in my life? And, and where am mm-hmm. I going to situate myself geographically and, with a firm and, and what sort of role and, and what industry, all those questions went through my mind. And it was, and it was quite daunting, quite frankly, you know, cause you're in the institution that looks after you and all of a sudden you're, you're faced with some, 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 some hefty decisions really. And I, and I think, you know, that's a, there's a lot of considerations that obviously will come into that, but there's no obvious, you're not swapping one uniform to do exactly the same job outside. And that is a path that some people have taken, you know, they're, they're working on electronics inside, they find the same job outside. So now it's, it's kind of, oh, the world is the oyster, but that's actually quite frightening in some respects. So what were the, what were the biggest considerations for you in terms of that transition? You know, was it, was it family first? Was it self first? Because obviously being in the service that, you know, the core values are service first, then self. So how did that mindset change take place for you? And, and what were the biggest, you know, the biggest influences on that, that next decision? I think there was, there were many, and I don't know that one preceded another, um, you know, at, at the stage, you know, as actually, you know, I, I did a short service commission, came to the end of that and then extended for a permanent commission. So that, and that was based on a, you know, on a familial, you know, consideration, but when it came to the end of that permanent commission, I was thinking family first, uh, then sort of self second, I guess, if we were to sequence them. And then in this self consideration, I was thinking, well, what do I want to do? Like, what, what's, what, what am I, what am I going to be satisfied doing? And where do I want to add value? And in what industry do I want to be in? Um, and that was a, that was a really, really, you know, divergent thinking, you know, I, I you know, like I said before, it's like you've just got so many choices. And and for me, I started to narrow it down by doing, you know, a few light educational courses. I remember doing, you know, I went back and I, I was quite good at languages. So I sort of refreshed some Spanish courses. I, I dabbled with a bit of IT, failed at that badly. So that was a bit of a combat indicator as to where <laughs> my future wasn't going to be. In. And, um, and then I thought, well, look, what I, what, what, what do I intrinsically, what makes me, you know, tick? And, um, you know, you know, for me, I, I came back to sports and then I thought, well, okay, sport. And I'd done an undergrad degree in business. So I thought, well, is there a sport and business connection? What does that look like? What's going to make me employable 
in amongst all of the rest of the competition, not coming from a sport background, but launching myself into a sporting career. Um, so I took, a, I, I studied, a, you know, four years out of leaving, or out from leaving, I studied um, a master's in sport and exercise science, which, you know, was a, a, a big commitment, you know, especially when you've got a young family and it's part time. But nevertheless, I think that, that investment certainly paid off for me. I just wanted to kind of circle back a little bit. You'd said there was informal conversations kind of around the crew room, you know, when you're having things, what are we going to do next? That kind of thing. Did you ever find a, a scenario where if you started talking about outside and outside of the service, that anyone would kind of look at you, not with suspicion, but almost to the point of, well, you're not fully committed to, to what you're doing. If you're thinking the grass is greener on the other side, you're not as committed as everyone else is. You know, these those informal conversations that were happening, they were they were pretty candid. And, you know, in amongst our peer groups, certainly there was, and I guess peer-to-peer, maybe it's slightly different. We, you know, a lot of us were talking, especially the pilot fraternity, they were, you know, if they if they'd been in the service for 15 years, a lot of them were, you know, they they knew that they they just were itching to leave. Um and, and they were sort of open about that. And I guess that sort of created a bit of a a, a mm. culture around you know you know having the conversation so that so that uh, that part in this, I didn't know, I didn't sort of identify that too much um I guess when it came to you know what what I witnessed in, in terms of sort of performance management in the in the military was you know if, if you made a particular decision that wasn't necessarily aligned with a career path then then there may have been some judgment as you know attached to that and and, and you know sometimes that works in your favor and the service's favor and sometimes it doesn't um three years out i was offered an opportunity to go back into a flying career and, and i was on the cusp of promotion um and I, and I chose to you know to 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 do what i needed to do for the family and that was to stay at raf cranwell and not go into you know, to fly a new aircraft type and you know that for me well, that was my decision I you know live, live by that decision today but it wasn't in the service's interest and so sure. you know I, you know so so you know the service has to look after itself and I respected that and um, but for me that was just you know that was one thing that you know helped me you know I think I, I understand that there was a Timex uh, or there's a there's a life expectancy to to my career in the Air Force and and, and therefore, you know, forced me to think about, like, seriously about the next steps, you know, so. So where did it take you? What was the kind of uh, the landing point, if you like, for, for a little bit of a cliche, when you when you left the service? Uh, well, to be quite frank, Dom, I mean, I, I was I was all over the map, like, literally all over the map. Um, uh, I do recall playing water polo on the first water polo tour to New Zealand uh, in 1997, I fell in love with the place, you know, very naively and maybe romantically fell in love with the South Island and thought that's where that's where I'm going to go after I leave the Air Force and put a plan in place to make that happen. And then family came along and we thought, oh, my God, that's the other end of the world. And like it's 22 hours of flying to get there, you know. So we, we pulled back from that and then we thought, well, OK, Northern Hemisphere, you know, where do we want to live? Um, and, and at the time I was itching to get out of the UK, you know, my, my views of the UK where it was overcrowded, um, great place to live, lots of perks, you know, centrally located to the Europe. But I just thought, you know what, the Air Force has been telling me for years where I'm going to position myself in the world. So I, I'm going to make the choice for myself this time around. So, so I did. And, and uh, you, know, I, you know, my then wife and I applied for a residency in Canada. Process took about three years to get a visa. Um, which you know dovetailed with me leaving the Air Force. So, 
Um, so, so, that, so at that point, we were, I guess, notionally committed to Canada, but not necessarily committed because the 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 decision to actually depart your 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 place of residence is is you know can't be underestimated, and 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 it's, and it's a really big decision. In terms of the approach to the the kind of new pastures and and adapting to to being in a new new country, what were the big what did you find the biggest challenges were when you kind of landed in Canada? I mean, I, I think I was overwhelmed. Um, it's a big transition. Um, uh, overwhelmed by just the size of the place here. I was overwhelmed by the fact that I I, di- I didn't really know anybody. Quite frankly, I I, I actually had. The luxury of getting a job offer, so I was very fortunate um, to be given an opportunity to work in a in a large consulting firm. Um, but that was a transition too. So I, you know, I jumped out of the military, left the UK, landed in Calgary, uh, landed in the winter, and the winters here can be fairly harsh. I, I remember one day walking, walking home from work. It was minus thirty, and and I thought. I could probably just disappear off the face of the earth and nobody would know for days. Like, but that that also, you know, helped ground me and, and think about like and be present and think about what what is it I need to do, you know, how do I set up a network? How do I start developing friendships and relationships? And, and I and I just went out of my way and you know to do that. And I think the military sets you up that way for you know dropping you into somewhere that you're unfamiliar with. And, and figuring things out, and you know that's one of the many many talents and, and I guess uh, traits that you know you get from being in the service. Yeah, and I think being posted regularly and moving around, obviously you're kind of forced into that scenario. It's like I always think, you know, when I landed on camps, you know, the first couple of nights was right. The first thing I'm going to do is go for a run from the camp gate and see what's around. That's the first thing. And the second thing is somebody that you work with says, oh, come on, we're going for a beer and they take you to the local pub. And, and it's that settling in process. But I suppose from a business point of view, kind of file a fax of, of names as it probably would have been those now, it's all digital. But I mean, the things that the names in your contact book in your area are quite sparse. To move the family over there, there's no family support, you know, babysitters, all that kind of stuff. So so what was that like then when the family joined you? You know, had you sorted everything out by the time they got there? Did you kind of settle that down or was it still a process that was going on? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd managed to find, you know, I'd managed to find somewhere to live and, uh, you know, that was suitable for, a, you know, for a small family um, and, and, and sort of got it all furnished and set up and then, you know, then the family joined. So, so that that part was that part was pretty straightforward, and um, you know I think I think the psychological transition for, but not just for me, but spouse for kids, you know, can't be underestimated either. You know, it's 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 a it's a big hurdle for for kids as well. You know, kids took a while to settle in; they missed their friends. Um, they they were then you know shoved into a school you know that they maybe would have chosen not to go to if they had the choice but you know as young kids they don't so it was unsettling for sure like it's uh you know and and any servicemen and there are many that come to you know that emigrate after service you know you know it's it's worthy of of giving that some consideration because it's an extra strain when you're trying to establish yourself from you know not only from a business perspective but also just family create that family unit and 
I'm going to tip my hat to you, first of all, because you've not only have you got a house sorted out, you just said you furnished the house before your wife has got out there. So any guy that does that without confirming curtains and soft furnishings in the house, to be fair, that shows some resilience, some adaptability and um, and, and some real risk taking in my book. So I, I tip my hat to you in that respect. Now you've gone into consulting, obviously, I'd imagine that's quite a quick, steep learning curve from there. And and Kyle, what was the pathway from from going into that to kind of where you are now? And and we'll talk a little bit about you know how your how your role is different now. What what was this? What was the transition like in working environment? Uh, it, it, it was pretty. You know, as I look back and even in, in the moment, it, it, it was it was pretty monumentous. Um, you know, going from pure public sector in the military um, to private sector, like uber private sector in the corporate world, uh, where employment regulations are different. Um, it was it was a it was a it was a big culture shock, I must say. Um, you know, and I, I recall, you know, one day one of my colleagues being walked out the door, he was he'd just been fired. And I thought, holy Moses, like this, this happens so quickly. Like, you know, that sort of, you know, sort of almost cutthroat culture was was quite a was quite a shock for me you know what i did learn in terms of like delivery it was you know you have to be focused on where you're adding value you have to understand how you're adding value to the organization and your clients um and that took a while quite frankly you know it's uh it was def- there was definitely a learning curve you know not just in terms of the technical things that we were consulting around um, but also, you know, how to conduct the business of consulting. That was that was certainly new for me. So I, c- I can't say I went in eyes wide open into it thinking that, that, that I knew everything. I, I definitely didn't. And, um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of you know, just, you know, the, the good old military tactics of pinning your ears back, um, listening, asking questions, you know, um, being fairly stoic to, to not be not to demonstrate you know a real vulnerability even though in the inside you know uh, you know I, I, I you know I was a bit of an emotional wreck um, in the nicest sense but um, you know there was lots of things to you know emotionally to get my head around and sort of psychologically but also you know in, in you know to, to you know to be able to know that you were adding value you had stability in your work you weren't going to get fired um you know all those sorts of things that, that you know that they, they crossed my mind and i think that was a big um you know that was a big a big a big learning curve for me. and the current role that you've got now with uh with the olympic oval yeah sure so you know i i think before i go there maybe i'll just sort of mention you know you know as i came out of the service I, 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 I think I just didn't find the right fit in consulting and consulting wasn't the right fit for me. And it, you know, I, I, I jumped around a few shops um, trying to get the right fit. And I think, you know, whilst I was conscious of the optics of that on my resume, I, I wasn't necessarily so concerned about, you know, the fact that I was jumping around. When I say jumping around, I was, you know, spending two plus years or so with a firm and then moving on to another one. So, you know, you know, any service leaver, you know, has to, has to be fairly compassionate with themselves and also honest with themselves and say, like, if, if something isn't a good fit, you'll you'll figure that out and you'll know. And I, and I knew that, that consulting wasn't a good fit for me. So I, I, I was always keeping an eye on the sports world, Dom, and, and I, I wanted to, you know, leverage 
the fact that I had a, this master's certificate in, in sport and exercise science and then blend that with the, all the good things that I'd learned in my, in my consulting experiences. And, and there were some really good learnings there. Like if anybody wants to go into consulting and learn, those organizations are fantastic at them. And I would certainly recommend, you know, people considering it. Um, but, you know, so what I, you know, in terms of the sports world, there was an opportunity that came up, not at the Olympic Oval, but at another large facility here in Calgary um, to be their director of sports. And uh, I applied and, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I was aggressive with my pursuits and tenacious, and a bit of a sort of a dog with a bone and I networked like crazy to get into, you know, the, the organization and get myself noticed and get my resume noticed. Um, and, I, and, and I, you know, luckily enough, you know, for me, uh, the chief executive hired me and I spent just over two and a half years uh, or just under two and a half years at that organization, then got the opportunity to move up to the Olympic Oval, which is a bit of a, it's still in the sports world. It's a, it's a step away from the previous facility, but um, it's still in the business of sports. do feel like I've found like where I need to be in, in life and career. Um, and, and that for me, you know, inspires me to, to want to get up every day and, and yeah. do a good job and, and inspire the team. And I think I, you know, I picked up from some of the things you were saying earlier on about almost kind of working out what you don't want to do. You know, and I yeah. suppose that the, the, the problem when you leave the service for a lot of people will be, well, I need to pay the bills. So I need to find a job and actually they may take a job quickly, which, okay, looks okay. And it's a fit to what they maybe were doing in the service, but they do it because almost for other reasons, rather than actually a job that, they look forward to going into every day and is kind of inspiring and, and fulfilling. And it, it sounds to me like gradually you've kind of gained experience while working out what you don't want to do. And you've now got to the place that this is actually something I really want to do. It's still a learning process when you leave. It's Yeah, it totally is. Um, you know, I guess maybe I've done it the hard way, you know, by trying to figure out what I don't want to do. Would I advise that? If you can avoid it, I would say avoid it. But if you can't, then, and you and you need to, you know, figure a few things out, then that's okay too. Like, you know, I think, I think coming out of the service, I, I think we put a lot of, maybe I'm generalizing now, but, you know, I certainly put a lot of high expectations on myself in terms of finding a, a job that, paid the bills, like you say, you know, kept the wolf from the door. And, uh, and you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and say, well, maybe I'm not going to be able to earn as much as I was in the military temporarily, but, you know, in the fullness of time, I'll get there and, 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 and be okay with that and not, not to beat oneself up over it. And, and, and oftentimes there's some risk with that as well. You know, if you get a high, high paying salary in a, in a corporate firm, there's, there's risk to that because the, the level of expectation is much higher. So, um, you know, I think unless, unless you appreciate the risk and are willing to take the risk, then, you know, you, you know some of us may want to be a little bit more risk averse and, and a bit more conservative. So if, if you kind of look back now on the, the learns from that period, from leaving the service to, to now, you know, well-established, great, great job, very satisfying role that you've got. You're looking at somebody who's in your shoes. What, what would you say are the, the preparation things before you actually leave? What are the things you could do for yourself prior to, you know, to leaving that would really help? Um, I think there's a, there's a number of things, and, and, and I think they've been, you know, borne out in some of the previous podcasts, Don, that you've done. I think net, the network 
aspect shouldn't be underestimated, you know, and and understanding what that means. You know, I, I you know, I, I remember going to some of the career transition workshops and they were talking about a network and I, I'm not sure sure I fully understood that. Um, but by that for that for me really means having you know developing relationships with people to whom you can go to for either mentorship or guidance or coaching um in in, in the industry that that you want to you know find yourself in and and surrounding yourself with people who are who are willing and prepared to give you some some good advice and and to be really candid with you i think that's that's one aspect I think having a plan is 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 really key, you know. And, and as we all know, any plan only sustains first contact, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Um, but be be fairly flexible with with the plan. Um, you know, I think you know a lot of us will will, as we mentioned earlier, will put high expectations on ourselves. You know, take the pressure off um, if you can, and and, a, and that might be just a little bit too easy to say, but. There's, there are some high expectations sometimes, especially if, you know, maybe the, the other part of the family isn't working. But if, if they are, then that maybe alleviates some of the pressure. So um, what else? An education. I think, you know, education, you know, we heard from Rich Gamage around volunteering. Volunteering and building out a resume, um, you know, is a great way to demonstrate, you know, that one, you've got a holistic set of skills and experiences that you can lend to any business um and and then i think the other thing is be clear on sort of your value proposition you know understand if you're going into a particular firm or industry what is it what is it what are the problems you want to solve because effectively we're, we're you know we're in some respects we're here to solve problems in, in business um and then you know in solving those we create you know benefits and outcomes so um, I, I think you know having a clear value proposition for oneself is is really important. So, Peter, before we wrap up the pod, there may be some people out there who are considering relocating to you know a new part of the world, maybe potentially Canada. What what kind of advice or help would you uh, would you give them? Um, well, I mean, in the first instance, you know, I, I'm more than happy to help people if, if they want to reach out to me or contact me. Um, they can do that through yourself, Dom, or, or they can find me on LinkedIn um, or social media. More than happy to, to help. Um, there are there are a few groups um, of ex-military people in Canada. Uh, I know of one that we set up in Calgary of ex-military, mostly Army, um, but some Air Force as well. And there's some in Toronto. Um, so, so yeah, so, I mean, if, if anybody's, you know, wants to have, um, a connection to those, then they can either come through me or, um, or, or find them, you know, on, on LinkedIn as well. That's great. Listen, Pia, thanks for that. Cause veterans helping veterans is, uh, is another benefit, I think from, uh, for, from the podcast itself. Uh, Pia, again, thanks. Our first overseas contributor to the, uh, to the pod from uh, Canada. And, and I appreciate this because you know, I know it's early, uh, early o'clock for you start of the day uh, where it's getting to the end of a Friday for me. So, um, Pia, thanks for joining us on the pod today. Really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Dom, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, yeah, here's to here's to all the great work that you're doing to help veterans. It's uh, it's really important. So thank you for all your efforts. Thank, thank you. I really enjoyed my conversation with Peter. Two things that struck me uh, when I had the chat with him. First and foremost was even out of a job that maybe wasn't completely suited to what he wanted to do, 
he learned from it and he took lessons and experiences from that that obviously helped him towards landing the job that he actually does now and that, that really inspires him to get up in the morning. And I think the second thing that he talked about was about the network and about building a network around you. And it isn't just about people who's who's got something to sell or you think you can get a job with, but it's also building that network of trusted advisors and, and people that can mentor you and, and share the experience that they've got from maybe the sector that you want to work in or or the area that you want to go and uh, live in, uh, as it was with Peter's case in Canada. So as a message to the veterans out there, lean on people around you. There's a great veteran network out there that's uh, that's ready to be tapped into. Hope you enjoyed the pod. Uh, tune in next week for another episode.